Good evening. Welcome to the October 12th, 2023 meeting of the Alameda Recreation and Park Commission meeting. Can we have the roll call, please? Yes, thank you. Um, starting from the top, we'll start with Commissioner Swartz. Present. Commissioner Bernie. Present. Commissioner Radez. Present. Commissioner Robbins. Present. Vice Chair Alexander. Present. And Director um, Justin Long. Here. Thank you. The first item on our agenda is public comment on non-agenda items. You have three minutes to speak on something that is not on the agenda tonight. And just a reminder that we do not respond to any of your comments. We just listen at this point. So do we have any speakers tonight? Recreation Service Manager Limeseeder. We do. We have two speakers tonight that are present. Um, first speaker is Drew Higginson. Welcome, Speaker Higginson. Hello. Uh, my name is Drew Higginson. I'm a Cruzy Park local. I think met most of you except for Commissioner Shorts, Swartz. So welcome. Um, so something I was really encouraged about was a comment made by Commissioner Bernie last time about transparency in the pickleball process. So I want to give a little example of what I find to be the importance of transparency in this process. So as you may know, when Cruzy was first selected as the singular location for pickleball, the reason we were told is that the courts needed to be resurfaced. Now at the same time, the courts at Franklin Park also need to be resurfaced. And yet Franklin Park was never chosen as a space to do pickleball. I think that's the right decision. Um, I don't believe it's a good location for pickleball. I also don't believe Cruzy Park is a good location for pickleball. So, and today, in terms of transparency, we have never been explained why Franklin Park was not chosen. But I think it's useful to compare them. So at Cruzy Park, we have 11 homes that are right up against the courts, the tennis courts. At Franklin Park, there are zero. Across the street, there are another 10 houses at Cruzy Park. At Franklin Park, there are five houses. So we're talking about 10 plus 11, that's 21 houses versus five. At, uh, at Franklin Park, the, um, the distance is about 65 feet away from the courts. At Cruzy, it's only 45 feet. Those are both ridiculously close. Uh, so we're talking about very, very close. But also, um, uh, Cruzy is very close to the other location of existing courts. It's, it's only a one-minute drive to um, Lincoln Park. It's about a five-minute walk. So in, in terms of spreading pickleball across the island, Franklin is also a much better choice geographically. So it seems like you know, Franklin is a better choice. But there's one very big difference between Franklin and Cruzy, and that is property value. So we never received an official reason this, is, this was the reason. But it seems like without transparency, it is the most obvious one. Now, Franklin is, is beautiful. It's a very nice neighborhood. And they definitely do not have their, deserve to have their community destroyed by pickleball. But neither do we. And really, neither do any of the neighborhoods that have pickleball, uh, that have courts right up against them. So of course, obviously, it makes me upset personally that I'm told that I'm not wealthy enough for my opinion to matter. But also, is that really what we want to be as a city? So do we really want to be a place where we don't base our decisions based on facts, based on impact? Instead, we base things solely on wealth, where we put our unwanted nuisances in the backyards of the less wealthy neighbors? I, I honestly think we're better than that as a city. 
And I think we should strive to be a city that values people and not just their income. So I think it'll be interesting to know why that wasn't chosen and it, transparency is very important in that sense. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Higerson. Next speaker. Next speaker in person is Gary Tillman. Welcome, Speaker Tillman. Good evening. Um, I wanted to basically just come and orally give my, my little talk, monthly talk on pickleball. Uh, I've communicated by email with this group uh, six times since the last meeting. Um, and I, again, I wanted to re kind of repeat my phrase. I want you to listen to the noise. I want you to listen to the noise of what's going on, not only in our community, but around the country and, and quite frankly, around you know, most of the world in terms of pickleball noise. So to uh, kind of get a, a, a feel for what's happening, uh, first of all, the 19th city since uh, November 2022 has chosen to move or ban pickleball. That's Wichita, Kansas, happened recently. And I wanted to quote their, uh, uh, something from Troy Hopman, who is the uh, rec department director. He says, we wanted to make sure we were doing the right thing. Um, and so they made the decision to actually move the location of, of future pickleball courts, um, the South Lakes Pickleball Complex. There were also two cities, Centennial, Colorado, and Park City, Utah, that actually passed ordinances in the, within the last month, or at least I saw the, the notification that those ordinances were passed. Centennial decided that you weren't allowed to place pickleball courts within 250 feet of residence. And Park City, in general, uh, did not, would not allow pickleball courts within 150 feet of residence. Now clearly, there are, as Drew just mentioned, there are a significant amount of homes uh, in the Cruzy location that are well within those distances. And so I implore this group to take that into consideration when you're thinking about where to put, place pickleball. Um, a couple other things that I mentioned previously I wanted to update. Um, there is now a, a map of the United States that floats around on Facebook. It's called the Hotspots, Pickleball Hotspots. It's grown from 150 hotspots last month to 183 spots now. That's a 22% increase. Those are places around the United States where there are clearly controversies between the residents, the pickleball players, and the government authority on the location of pickleball courts. And finally, I mentioned there is a now a, a YouTube page that talks about the media and video reports. You can go and look at where actual TV stations are doing um, reports on the, the impact of pick, pickleball is having on re local residents. That's increased from 65 last month to 78 now, that's a 22% increase. 22% increase on the hotspots, 20% increase on uh, the, video, the video. The bottom line is there's lots of evidence out there now that pickleball does not belong in communities, residential communities. And Thank I you, Speaker Tillman. I implore Tillman. you to pay attention to the noise. Thank you. Do we have any more speakers? We have two speakers online. Uh, we're gonna go ahead and allow Mr. Joe Stack to talk. Welcome, Speaker. Yes, hello. Good evening. Go ahead. Yep. All right, thanks for having me. Um, and I just want to acknowledge all the Parks and Rec commissioners for the 
volunteer hours that you guys put in and making all these good things happen. The comments that I wanted to bring to the commission tonight, it was just to remind everyone about the Enterprise Park campground that has been discussed in previous uh, commission meetings this past year and previous years as well. And this Enterprise Park is considered a lower priority project for the, for the city, but um, nothing really seems to be happening. And this is a, a relatively golden opportunity to, to uh, make happen with relative ease to the city operations, parks and recreation department, maintenance, uh, Alameda Point uh, uh, folks and, and so on. Because um, all that's really needed is a request for proposal to make this happen as the city's not interested nor are other public agencies interested in running this campground. And so in essence, a request for proposal from an outside concessionaire or whoever uh, to take on that project would be a, a relatively easy thing um, to make happen. And um, I believe it was in April of this last year, um, it was suggested to make this an agenda item um, for an upcoming Parks and Rec Commission meeting. And, and at that time, it was decided to uh, postpone that and, and bring this project back in the fall to at least discuss the possibilities of making a request for proposal and to see what's entailed um, to make this happen. And so um, I just want to encourage and remind the commission um, that this is very much a easy and great opportunity for the city and outdoors folks um, to make happen. And if with a little bit of discussion internally and externally, I strongly believe it, it can happen. And then um, it benefits for, for just about everybody involved in the project. That's the city and um, all the campers and, and everyone involved in it. Um, it's it's a really unique opportunity that should be capitalized as it's been ignored for well over five, six, I don't know, maybe eight years um, since I've been talking to various folks in the city to make this happen. So um, yeah, uh, thank you. And uh, yeah, that's all I have to say. Thank you for your comments. We have one additional uh, speaker online, uh, Shelby Sheehan, uh, allowing, I, you're unmuted. Welcome, Speaker Sheehan. Thank you. Uh, I did submit a comment uh, uh, earlier to the commission, and I would like to know whether you received it regarding the Alameda Food Bank parcel. Is that possible for you to let me know? Because I don't see it on the agenda. We don't make any comments on what you have to say tonight, but I can ask oh. later. Oh, I just want to know if you received the comment. First of all. There's no, we don't answer any questions when you call in tonight. So just say what you'd like to say, please. Okay, so uh, first let me comment on the uh, pickleball court. I believe this would be something that would be great at Alameda Point. There is a defunct tennis court and there's lots of open space that can be utilized. So if uh, you want to know where maybe it could be located, I'd say somewhere at Alameda Point, possibly at the defunct tennis courts. Uh, but the item that I called about today was the city council approval of a non-conforming use lease for <clears throat> a different vendor called All Good Living on the uh, abandoned 
Alameda food bank parcel on Fowl Way. I did submit a comment that said that this, it appears that number one, the Rec Park Commission should have been uh, uh, conferred with before this lease was approved. There was no public process, there was no transparency, <clears throat> and the presentation uh, brought by the uh, city officials and city staff was full of errors about zoning. And I was hoping that the uh, Rec Park Commission would be made aware of this because apparently they were not, and that they could take this opportunity to comment on it uh, to the city council uh, if they so chose. And hopefully they can get that parcel uh, granted back to the proper zoning for Gene Sweeney Park as part of the master plan of which it was originally intended. Thank you. Thank you, Speaker Sheehan. Are there any other speakers tonight on a non-agenda item? That's all the speakers that we have online at this time. All right, thank you. That portion is closed. Next item on the agenda is staff communications. We will have a report from Recreation and Park Director Justin Long. Thank you, Chair and fellow commissioners. Um, bear with me, we've got a lot of updates, so gonna read a good list here. So um, Friday will be our last of our Starlight Movie in the Park series. It'll take place at the Multipurpose Field on Alameda Point uh, at 6 p.m. The movie again is uh, Top Gun Maverick. Uh, admission is free um, and the Alameda Youth uh, Committee will be selling treats prior to the start of the movie. Um, a day in the park was a, a day that we held here on October 9th. Uh, let's see here, sorry, I just lost my place. Um, at uh, Cruzy and uh, due to the AUSD teacher workday, over 50 kids were enrolled there. There was a STEM class for all ages that took place at Lightacre Park on the 9th with, with 50 enrolled there. And a sports class took place at the Alameda Point Gymnasium with 25 children enrolled in that. Um, the 43rd annual holiday, um, Boutique will take place November 4th and 5th at the DeWitt Oak Club at Alameda Point. All items are homemade and handcrafted. All the proceeds from this event will go to help fund the Leisure Club and the scholarship funds for ARPD. Um, the Elk slash ARPD joint hoop shoot will begin at local sites here in Alameda. There are three different age divisions as well as a boys and girls division. Uh, participants will try to make as many as free throws as possible out of 25 attempts. All the site winners will compete in a citywide finals, which will take place the evening of December 15th uh, at the Alameda Point Gymnasium. Um, our Tiny Tots program is underway throughout Alameda. There are over 60 preschool registered uh, already uh, for the fall colors. We Play, a caregiver child play group, has returned to the Veterans Building this fall with over 100 families registered in the Monday, Wednesday, and Friday program from 10 to 1 p.m. Our <clears throat> recreation after school program uh, for kindergartners through fifth graders continues to help parents by providing the youth of Alameda with an after school recreation program at selected sites throughout Alameda. Participants may sign up for either five day or three day a week um, until 5.30 each day. The wrap sites include Bayport, Franklin, Cruzy, Lidecker, Lincoln, Tillman, and Washington Parks. Lincoln and Tillman are currently at capacity and the others are close to filling up. Our teen tween program, our underground teen center and the vets building is averaging uh, over 30 kids a day. The participants are also staying longer than they usually do due to the creative program that we're offering. 
Um, the Alameda Youth Committee is also gearing up for the 18th annual Haunted House that will be taking place uh, this year. 80 plus teens uh, from all over the island are involved in creating different scenes, uh, decorating them uh, throughout the week of uh, October 9th. The event will be at the South Shore Center near the TJ Maxx store. The teen program and the Alameda Youth um, and South Shore have partnered up and will host this year's popular event. The event will take place October 27th, 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and then uh, Saturday, October 28th from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. and again on Sunday, October 29th from p 3 p.m. till 7 p.m. Adult softball is nearing completion of its uh, fall league. Co-ed men and women's league um, uh, are played at the following fields, Woodstock, Upper Washington, Lower Washington, uh, with over 52 teams with over 648 participants. Our aquatics program is still offering fall swim lessons on Sundays at both Ensignal and Emma Hood swim centers. There are a variety of private, semi-private, and group lessons. ARPD also has a variety of specialty classes like Aqua Tots, Zumba, Baby and Me. There are, um, there are 160 plus youth already signed up for the aquatics program currently. Lap swimming and the master's program is also has regular attendance by adults throughout the week. Um, I also want to call attention to the pumpkin patch pool party, which will take place at the Ensignal Swim Center on Sunday, uh, the 29th. Uh, from 10.30 to 6 p.m. with six one-hour and half sessions. Each participant gets to take home a pumpkin, and there'll be crafts and some treats, uh, so we encourage everyone to come out for that. Alameda Walks um, has the last walk of the season on Saturday, October 28th at Alameda Point. Uh, the walk will begin at Atlantic in Maine and will be co-hosted by um, Dennis Evanotsky and the Alameda, uh, from the Alameda Post. The walk begins at 9 a.m. Um, we have a series of park improvement updates to give you. Um, Lightacre Park field restoration has been completed and is currently growing in and will reopen uh, in February and March season. Um, we replaced the large slide uh, at Sweeney Park due to uh, just some repairs that needed to be made. Um, at Tillman, the landscape was refreshed outside the center. Um, at Shoreline, we repaved the first segment um, uh, from Veterans Court to Sheffield, and we're in progress of doing the next segment, which will start at McCartney and go towards a Creedon Circle. Um, Estuary Park Phase 2 has begun its outreach. We're going to do the first uh, drop-in session at the movie night, so I encourage folks to stop by and see me and look at the conceptual park design and give us some comments and feedback. Uh, um, and then, um, just as a small thing, uh, you'll notice that there's been some um, you know, our, our normal maintenance in the fall of going around and re refreshing all the mulch and all of our playgrounds, especially at some of our school sites. So with that, uh, those are my updates. So if you ever wondered what the staff at ARPD does, now you know. They're very, very busy. <laughs> and that's just a few of the things that they're doing. Thank Correct. you, um, Director Long. Thank you. Anyone have any questions for him? No? Okay, thank you. Next item on the agenda is the Commissioner Communications. And I'd like to start with Commissioner Swartz tonight as he was not able to attend the meeting last month and I would like him to introduce himself to all of you. Hi everybody, my name is Drew Swartz. Uh, sorry I missed uh, last month. I was actually in one of our national parks uh, on a trip we had planned in Yosemite, um, about, planned about a year before. Um, but happy to be uh, back in here this week. Um, 
I was born and raised in San Diego. Uh, I went to college in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, that's where my family's from, not as random as people usually think. Uh, and then I've been in the Bay Area uh, ever since graduating uh, from graduate school. Uh, my wife and I moved to Alameda last February um, with our now two-year-old son. Uh, we were in Oakland before that, uh, but we've been involved in Alameda community um, when my wife started working on the island as a veterinarian in 2016. So uh, even though we're new here, we're very familiar with the island. Uh, I've also been a volunteer um, and a new volunteer mentor for the um, Friends of Alameda Animal Shelter uh, for what's coming up on, I think I just hit four years now, uh, so I've been very involved there. Uh, extensive aquatics background, uh, which was my main reason for wanting to join the Parks Commission. Uh, I'm a former collegiate swimmer, uh, currently Alameda Masters swimmer. Um, I was a lifeguard, swim instructor, uh, water polo player, uh, and uh, master swim coach up until about a year ago. Uh, as I mentioned, I have a son. Uh, we frequent many of the parks in Alameda, um, especially Cruzy, since that's near my house. Um, very passionate about ensuring that him and all Alameda residents, young and old, have access to the best parks and recreation services, uh, which were very important to me growing up. Um, professionally, I'm a customer success manager at a um, technology startup in San Francisco. Uh, some park updates for me. Um, so we went to the Alameda Waterfront Park and Seaplane Lagoon this weekend to try to catch some of the Blue Angels. Uh, far enough to not be too loud for my son. Um, great park, and I know we're, kind of, we're talking today about the D-Pave uh, project, um, and really excited for what the future of that area is gonna look like being over there this weekend. Um, as Director Long mentioned, uh, I did notice the new mulching at the playground, um, which was great, because it was starting to come out there a little bit, so did notice that at Crucy um, on Monday. Um, also notice the after school program was open um, all day with the school closure for Columbus Day. Um, so as a working parent, very appreciative to see those kids having somewhere to go um, while the school was closed that day, seeing them play in the park, um, play games at the park was, was really great to see. I greatly appreciate that. Uh, another thing, so I, I do plan on attending. I know it's not directly run by the Parks Department, but it is a very important facility for the Parks Department. Um, the uh, School district is putting on a uh, Alameda High School pool update meeting on Wednesday the 25th. I will definitely be there, um, hopefully in person, because um, I know that that facility is very important, um, especially until we can get a city pool built. Uh, so thanks again, very excited to be here um, and looking forward to hopefully seeing most of you uh, in our parks or on the pool deck. Thank you. Great, thank you, Commissioner Schwartz. Commissioner Bernie? I was thinking about what I was going to say today as it relates to a commissioner update, but I decided to, what I decided to do is talk about astronomy this, for my commissioner communications since there is an annual, annular eclipse this weekend. And as you all are enjoying the parks, you might hear on the news about the eclipse and decide to look at the eclipse when it's happening. But because this is an annual eclipse, and what that means is that the moon is a bit farther in so that it doesn't completely cover the sun, while it's technically an eclipse, if you look at it, you will go blind. So if you decide to partake at the parks, 
this weekend, and, you, and if you decide to look at the eclipse as it's occurring, please do not do so. Either watch it on TV or get a solar telescope. Those are rather expensive, so I wouldn't necessarily recommend doing that. Or you can buy shades from astronomy stores or Amazon to look the, at the eclipse. So just another reminder that as you, in, you are enjoying the parks this weekend, and if you decide to view the annual eclipse, take precautions. I don't want anyone going blind or damaging their eyes or their family's eyes, so just be careful as you observe the eclipse this weekend while enjoying the parks here in Alameda. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Bernie. Good advice. We'll go right around the table. Commissioner Robbins. Thank you. <clears throat> I was going to attend the Bike for the Park event, but unfortunately my cat happened to die that morning. So we were at Providence Veterinarian Clinic uh, with the help of his wife and the staff there um, putting our cat to sleep. So that was a bummer. Uh, Alameda Pride is coming up on Saturday. And unfortunately for that, I am hosting a gay lesbian tennis event in Oakland for the East Bay uh, GLTF Tennis Association, so I won't be able to be at the Alameda Pride. So there's a two events that I'm bummed that I'm not going to be able to uh, partake in. For the DePave Park, the, um, for those of you that don't know, I'm a 7th, 8th grade science teacher at Wood Middle School, and uh, Amy, through the city, has asked us to have our students give student feedback on the three options for DePave Park. And they're uh, knee deep in the middle of reviewing the three different options. And at the end of next week, uh, all of the 165 students that are in the classes will be giving their written communication on the three different options for DePave Park. Um, I'm also very proud at the Underground Center. Um, the majority, not the majority, but almost the majority of the and the students that partake in the Underground Center are from Wood Middle School. We have heavily uh, advertised it, and they love the Underground Center and really enjoy um, uh, using the, the center itself. And that is all I have. Great. Thank you, Commissioner Robbins. Commissioner Radis. Thank you. So as a, as a parent, I want to share appreciation, first of all, with uh, all the great city staff keeping our kids active and safe after school and during their holidays at the different RAP sites uh, across the city. I uh, also want to recognize all the community members who are helping those same kids learn how to play baseball and softball and soccer at the different parks uh, on the weekends. Um, I want to thank uh, Commissioner Alexander for her suggestion at the last meeting uh, to survey our, our various parks and facilities. I'm, now up to uh, 29 of the 41 parks and facilities that are listed on the city's uh, website. I hope to uh, knock off uh, the remaining 12 uh, before our next meeting. But uh, my travels uh, this, this month took me out to the DePave site that we're going to be discussing uh, later on in the meeting, uh, which was great to see with my own, uh, with my own eyes. Uh, and then last but not least, hope, uh, hope many of us will go out and see Top Gun uh, Maverick uh, this Friday night. My family's prepared. We watched the original, the original Top Gun. Uh, earlier this week, so we're ready to go and uh, look forward to that event. Thanks very much. Great. Thank you, Commissioner Reyes. Um, 
My report is uh, short this week. Um, I go by Cruzy Park quite a lot. I noticed that we have Little League playing there now and not just the girls. That was nice to see back. Um, the tennis courts are full. There's a lot of lessons going on. There's a lot of people playing tennis. We still have dogs running in the middle of Cruzy Park, but I hope that if you're running your dog there, you at least pick up whatever your dog leaves before you go. Um, Lidecker Park is looking amazing, absolutely amazing. I'd like to uh, commend Matt Nolan and his staff for that hard work there and look forward to seeing that in February and March when the kids are back playing Little League. Um, Rittler. Rittler is one of the busiest parks in town. There must be 10 soccer games at one time there on Saturday afternoons. Um, little kids, big kids, it's amazing to watch. If you ever get a chance and want to go down and see that, I suggest that you do that. Um, and that's pretty much my report for this month. Thank you. All right, the next item on the agenda is to approve the minutes of the September 14th, 2023 Recreation and Park Commission meeting. There were only four of us here, so the four of us will vote. Do I have a motion to approve those minutes? Motion to approve. Do I have a second? Happy to second. Can we have a roll call, please? Yep, if we can go ahead and start with Commissioner Bernie. Approved. Uh, Commissioner Reyes. Approved. Commissioner Robbins. Approved. Commissioner Alexander. Approved. The minutes have been approved. Okay. The first item and next item on our agenda is agenda item 6A to review depaved park design options, including removal of building 29, discussion on whether to keep or remove building 25, and provide direction. Um, we will have a report and a presentation from Director Long, and then the commission will ask clarifying questions of Director Long. Then we'll have public comment and then the commissioners will discuss, and then we will give our direction. All right. Director Thank Long. So tonight we're here to discuss uh, one of Alameda's next um, parks. It's called Depave Park, and it is located on the western edge of Seaplane Lagoon at Alameda Point. It's, it's designed to be a publicly accessible ecological park uh, uh, that will adapt with sea level rise and create a variety of habitats to support a wide range of wildlife. Um, and what we're bringing you now is this is our, our three options for you tonight to look at after doing two extensive rounds of community engagement. Um, and so uh, what we're really looking forward to is, you know, all the park's designs include the following. A wide range of a wide pedestrian and bicycle promenade, the length of the park that overlooks, has overlooks an educational gathering space, tide pools, a beach, picnic area, a parking lot with a restroom facility, uh, areas to fish by the bay, seating throughout the park, tidal wetlands, and habitat and nature play. Um, what we are seeking at the end of this is for um, to receive comments and direction uh, about the, there are two buildings located on the property. Um, and we will get into that as we continue. Next slide. So here's the current aerial view of Depave Park. It's a large concrete zone um, that you see there along the western edge of the lagoon. The large building right there is Building 25, and those are the existing wetlands on the VA property adjacent to the site. You can move on. And so what we are here today is to sort of look at how do we re-envision that space to accommodate and also create an environment that uh, will create a variety of natural habitats, um, provide wildlife, but also 
you know, help us adapt to sea level rise. Next slide. So how did we get here? Um, so in March of 2020, uh, the Park and Rec Commission and City Council prioritized a list of projects, uh, which included Depaved Park for ARPD to um, proceed with. In October of 2020, a vision plan was approved by Council. That was then followed uh, in September of 2021, Council authorizing ARPD to seek Measure AA grant funds from the San Francisco um, Bay Restoration Authority. Uh, in September of 22, a council approved the acceptance of an $800,000 grant, uh, as well as a $50,000 uh, allocation for the design development of DPAVE Park. And then in January of 2023, council approved an agreement with CMG, our consultants, to help with the design process, um, which was then immediately followed in April of 2023 with a kickoff of community engagement meetings. Um, and a survey to help us help guide us in our design process. And then uh, we continued after uh, working all summer, developing three different design options. We then held community engagement uh, events on the September 15th and 16th at an event that was held off of the edge of uh, Building 25. We also then held two community engagement meetings on September 30th as well as another survey that as of now, as the time of the writing is incorrect how many we're in at the time, but now there's over 450 responses to that survey. Next slide. So as you can see, we had five in-person events, one virtual, and then two online surveys throughout the process. Next slide. So here we were actually on site. We were in uh, different locations as well. We worked directly with the Alameda Point Collaborative uh, and had them go to the site, but we also brought our information to them at that point. Next slide. So how this all started was with the precise, adopted precise plant of Alameda Point in 2014. The DASH site is actually our um, project site for DPAVE. As you can see, the parks that were allotted out of the, uh, the pre precise plan. So at the bottom you have, on the right hand corner, you have what is called Enterprise Park. And then the long green strip is Seaplane Lagoon Promenade. The first segment of that park has been built. Um, and the, the overall design mantra for around the Seaplane uh, Lagoon Promenade was that as it got closer toward the western edge of the base, that that park would become more naturalized as that occurs and then ending in depaved park, which would be a totally naturalized habitat. Um, to the north, uh, you see the regional park for the Northwest Territory. We're currently in uh, developing an MOU with the East Bay Regional Park District to help develop that and provide a, uh, a natural area. In the area in the slight center there that's slightly gray will be the future site of a new VA hospital in Columbarium. And then immediately to the right of that is where we'll be developing, hopefully in not too long a future, the, the Alameda Sports Complex for a ARPD right next to the Alameda Point Gym. This will be a 40-acre site that incorporates a lot of different activities. So uh, in the master planning, we're looking forward to that. All right, next slide. To give everyone a little context, we're here looking at Seaplane Goon lagoon from the eastern side. You can see here on our right-hand side the very first phase of Seaplane Lagoon Promenade. The large gray area identified there is with the future site of the rest of the promenade. And then again in the distance you'll see the site for Depave Park. Um, you'll see 
further into that on some of the area in between the airstrips is actually the federally protected least uh, turn nesting site. So as you can tell in the previous slide, a lot of that is has to be preserved because of the federally protected wildlife that are out there. Um, and then in the very far distance is approximately the location of where the Veterans Hospital and Columbarium will be. Um, all right, next slide. So if you look, here's to give you a little bit more a context as to where DPAVE falls, as well as the expansion of the VA wetland that is currently existing. Sort of on the lower right-hand side, you can see the western side of the lagoon, and you can see sort of the ecological part that is built, and then the adjacent wetlands. Uh, currently, there is no plans for the wetland in this project to be tied together. There's specific uh, environmental uh, and habitat conditions that we don't want to uh, interact with or uh, have an issue with. If you look around the entire outside of that, there will be a seasonal uh, bay trail that when the least turns are not in their um, reproductive uh, timeline, will be available to the public to be able to uh, go all the way around the entire outer edge of uh, the military base and then connect back over by the sports complex. Next slide. And again, here just identifies again sort of the, the amount of land that is, is uh, the old former airfield, but also it allows to, you to see where DPAVE Park in relation to all of the rest of the property. Next slide. So really what the design options are gonna uh, talk about is that we've highlighted the buildings that are currently on the property. In the further distance, you'll see that there is building 29, which is about a 19,000 square foot building, which we are, uh, you'll see in these design options that we did not include building 29 in any of them. Um, and a little bit later, I'll describe exactly as to why that is occurring. Then in the middle, there's some ancillary structures that were built for the airfield operations. And then we have building 25, which is currently occupied by local businesses such as Dash Sellers and the Alameda Soda Company, as well as uh, St. George's Spirits. So that's what we're gonna be talking about tonight is the impact of um, the buildings, the removal or keeping them, um, and looking at what those different options provide for uh, more habitat, as well as a uh, place for uh, the residents to be able to get out and interact with that habitat. All right, next slide. So I wanna get into the reason why we did not include building 29. So building 29 here you can see is sort of outlined in orange. Um, in the 2014 infrastructure master plan, it was not included to bring the levy down to protect building 29. So none of the infrastructure was planned in that. that. So as part of this project, we would have to build an access road with a levy on both sides and, and surround the actual facility itself in order to keep it. Uh, this would, would brings the, the added cost just for saving the building to just about $6 million. Um, and currently, right now, you know, the, just to remove the building, we're at 1.1 million, um, and it'll uh, give us a little bit more habitat. If you look at the, the slide toward the top, below the orange, there's a dark green section in the middle. That would be the amount of habitat that is not within 50 feet of a walkway or a road. So as we all know that uh, many of the wildlife species do not wanna be within 50 feet of people or activity. So it greatly reduces the amount of truly natural habitat that would be created by keeping that structure. And which, for these reasons, we did not include that in that. Um, 
Myself and Assistant City Manager Wooldridge have met with the tenants in that building. It is currently occupied by artisans and builders. Um, that building is slightly unique in the fact of what it has in it that allows for different types of creativity. However, um, in our conversations with the tenants, um, we are fully well aware of you know, the impact this potentially could have on them and have offered to work with them to find alternative spaces within other vacant buildings at Alameda Point. And as th this project moves forward, we will continue to work with them in order to make sure that they're able to secure uh, a, a reasonable working uh, location on Alameda Point. So uh, we are very um, aware of what the impacts of this will be. We've also met with all of the tenants in Building 25, and they're aware of all these plans. Uh, we actually met with them uh, about three weeks ago prior to any of this information even being made public, just so that we could really have a, a good conversation with about the long-term impacts um, to what this project could or could not do. So um, for, with that reason, uh, we, are, we are definitely not including Building 29 at this time. Um, with that, I want to invite uh, Kevin Kroger with our CMG group to come up to the podium, and he's going to walk us through um, the design options, and then we'll have a discussion at the end, and we'll go from there. Good evening, Good evening. Welcome. Next slide. I love my job. <laughs> it doesn't get any better than this. I, uh, my name is Kevin Conger. My company is called CMG Landscape Architecture. We're based over in San Francisco. We've been around... 23 years. 25 years ago, I was a project manager at Chrissy Field. And for the last 23 years with my own company, we have done waterfront projects and places for people and places to create nature all around the Bay Area. We're focused in the Bay Area. And it doesn't get any better than this. It doesn't really get any better than DPA Park. Um, I first started working on DPA Park when we were helping the city create the precise plan in about 10 years ago and then um, continued to help out with the vision plan that Justin talked about, and now I have the privilege to be able to um, work with you in the community to advance this design. So we're really um, excited about it. I'm gonna give you a, a quick tour through the features that are in DePave Park. I'm gonna start by talking about all the things that are the same and all the alternatives and just give you a little bit of a tour around the park. Um, does it work for you if I point at the screen behind you? Okay. I'll start from the, from the right-hand side of the screen um, and just point out first that there's, there's parking that is specifically associated for the park. There's a restroom right in this location. There's a temporary improvements on that end that where it interfaces with the future um, other waterfront park that's coming down the, the other way. The reason that we need that is that portions of DPA Park need to be elevated up on top of the levee and so we need to accommodate a grade change. So there's a slope walkway there. There's a picnic area here and a discovery play area that is about a couple acres that sits up on top of that levee. So it's up about um, five, six feet above the existing grade that will overlook the Seaplane Lagoon and overlook um, the, the new wetlands out at Deepave Park. There is a terraced um, series of terrace seating areas right here that step down to an expanded beach right here in the corner. That part of the Seaplane Lagoon has sand that already gathers right there, so there's already some water access there, and it's a place where um, the kayakers and, and um, stand-up paddleboards and stuff have told us that they like to launch from there. So the idea is to expand that beach a little bit, to create a little bit more public access, and create a slope walkway so you can get your kayak or your paddleboard or whatever down to it. There's also an elevated uh, educational overlook here 
that will be a gathering space for students to come out. It will have interpretive displays on, a, on the um, guardrails that go around it, and it will have an overlook that looks out over the park and out over the lagoon. All of this area here that's in this kind of lighter color, this is all new paving because we have to create that, that elevated levee, and so it's going to require new paving for those pathways and those improvements. But when we slope back down to the grade of the existing park, the idea is to keep all this, all this stuff that you see as gray is actually the existing paving out there that we're going to cut everything else around it. We're going to depave everything else, and we're going to maintain that paving and repurpose as, as a promenade for walking and biking and places to gather, et cetera. And the, and the reason that we want to do that is because it is way more sustainable to repurpose that existing paving than it is to create new paving. Paving has a really, really high carbon footprint, and a big part of this park is to be climate positive. The wetlands will sequester carbon, so it will, it will offset. We estimate it will offset its own carbon footprint in about four years, and after that be sequestering carbon as a solution to reduce uh, climate change. So repurposing material is really uh, an important part of the narrative. You see that there's uh, this long promenade that comes out that's 20, 22 feet wide, multi-use for walking and biking, takes you all the way down through the park. There's, a, there's some pathways that come off of it that allow you to get out closer to the um, seaplane lagoon, closer to the water, some places that pop out where there'll be gathering places, interpretive displays, so forth. There's a bridge here that will be a new bridge that goes over the marsh inlet. This is where we're bringing the water in and creating an intertidal wetland. <clears throat> These are complicated, so we're working with ESA, their hydrologist, H.T. Uh, Harvey, our biologists that are in, uh, advising us on the habitat creation, so we set all the grades right. Moffat and Nickel is a shoreline engineer that's advising us on, on how to do this in a way that doesn't create erosion. And um, NGO is a geotechnical engineer that's advising us on making sure that um, the, the whole place is stable. So we have a big team of technical consultants um, behind us. We're, we're thinking of removing the, the stone riprap that's along that entire edge there to lay back the beach and create more of a living shoreline with a, a gravel beach that's down in the lower elevations. Those rocky gravel beaches have habitat value for certain types of birds that like to go in there and pick around and feed. So that's just one of the um, ecologies that we're trying to create. As you move further down, you can see how we're trying to preserve some of the paved areas to create some paths to get you out into the nature area. And then there's a large, um, we call it an outdoor learning lab down here, which would be a gathering place and a place where you can go down and take kids and have outdoor classrooms. There'll be lots of different types of interpretive events and so forth. There's a rocky um, intertidal habitat, basically tide pools down in this corner. So there'll be some um, subtidal habitat that people will be able to experience and look at fishing uh, access out here at the end, so you'll be able to come down and fish. The fishermen have told us that this is their preferred location, and then down here on this end, where building 29 is being removed, there'll be some um, mounds up here with a pathway, so you'll be able to get up and get a little bit higher and see out over the uh, habitat that's around this, pretty much on all sides. Um, I think I covered it all. So if we go to the uh, next slide, please, I'll give you a quick tour again, starting from um, the, this side and moving down. So here you can see the beach area with the sloped ramp that gets you down there, these idea for these terraces that overlook. These, by the way, are going to be made out of existing slabs of concrete that we're going to cut and then repurpose to make these uh, terraces. Again, trying to be super sustainable. You see the picnic area up here, the discovery play area, 
that elevated uh, overlook down here, and then the promenade that runs down through the wetlands. So next slide, please. This is going to take us into that overlook interpretive area here that's up high enough that you'll get a nice vista out over the park and out over the seaplane lagoon. Next slide, please. This is backing up at the, at the front edge of the uh, beach that steps down, and then you see the discovery pay and the picnic areas over here on our right. Next slide, please. A little bit further down as we get closer to the bridge. Again, the, the main purpose down here is really to create habitat, create places for nature, create access to it so people can experience nature. Next slide. A lot of the nature happens with the interface of the water and the land, so we're working really closely with the um, ecologists to make sure that we get the grading right so we get the right intertidal conditions so we create um, some subtidal lands, some intertidal wetlands, and some um, coastal dune scrub, which are the areas that stay a little bit more dry. All of those have different ecological values for different types of species. Next image. And here is, again, talking about the intertidal parts of the project and how the water comes in. So the, the blue area is the, is the more um, deeper channel that will bring water in. The, the white line is the, about a king tide. So that's the, the kind of the highest the water will get, and then the rest is upland. And the idea is that as sea level rise occurs, it becomes more and more intertidal, and the park becomes a bigger and bigger wetland park. And if you go to the next slide, this is showing us about four feet of sea level rise. So here's the proposed wetland up here, and this is with four feet of sea level rise on a, on a really high tide. So eventually, it will be mostly intertidal. And it's, it's really critical because there's not a lot of wetlands left around the fringe of the bay. And as sea level rise occurs, more of those are going to convert to subtidal, and we're going to have less intertidal um, spaces. So thinking about places that we can accommodate sea level rise to create future tides is something I think is um, innovative and exciting. Next slide, please. Just another slide looking back the other way across the wetlands. And the next slide, I'm going to get in now to what's different about the three options. So. This option maintains Building 25. It, uh, the parking right now for Building 25 is out here, as you know. So it, it removes all those ancillary buildings, pushes the parking back a little further, back behind the building, preserves the area back here where they have the outdoor eating and dining. It, the, the levee needs to wrap around to protect Building 25, but it pushes the levee about as close to the parking lot as we can get it to make as much uh, nature space on the other side of the levee as possible and um, so this one kind of creates more nature. There's a path along the top of the levee, so there's little lookouts and view spots along there, which would be great places to, uh, again, get up a little bit higher and look out at the birds. Um, and it gets about maybe um, an acre or so more, more nature than this next one that I'm going to show you. So if you, and the change is going to be right here. So if you go to the next slide, please. So this one pushes the levee a little bit further to the left and creates a little more space on this side of the levee that's more people space, like a discovery play area, some gathering spaces, spaces that might be more associated with um, the uses that are happening around the Building 25, outdoor dining, et cetera, and just more, you know, more discovery play and places for people. So that's the kind of big trade-off between option one and two. It's about an acre of land that could be a little bit more for nature or a little bit more for people. Option three, if you go to the next slide, please. It removes Building 25 entirely. Uh, the levee comes still. The picnic area and the parking are elevated, so they don't become inundated with sea level rise. But then the levee pulls way back here and wraps around. 
That's important because it needs to protect this future stormwater pond. This is part of the stormwater management plan for the bigger Alameda Point um, project, so it needs to be behind the levee. But it pulls it back far enough so that we pick up about uh, three acres of expanded habitat over on this side of the levee. So you, you, get more, uh, you get more nature with that. And it's critical for the habitat because the Leastern colony is just um, behind it up here to the west. And they're, they're sensitive to uh, predators. So birds of prey can perch up on the top of the building and look down on that Leastern colony. So removing these kind of taller elements uh, will certainly be beneficial for the existing habitat and create more habitat. So that's the reason that we have this um, alternative. Next image. Um, again, just to remind you, all the alternatives have all this great stuff. Places for people, habitat, water access, fishing, the educational spaces, interpretive elements, uh, a um, mixed-use pedestrian bike uh, path, et cetera. Uh, next image. Um, and so I'm going to hand it back over to Justin. All right. Thank you. All right. All right. Thank you very much. Um, on the slide here is you have the two uh, options really side by side for the big decision on what we do with Building 25. Uh, in concept one, again, preserving the building, um, you know, the additional cost uh, is, is, well, we have to build the levy anyway uh, on one side or the other, but it's about $1.1 million uh, to have the part boundary in the utilities out there. And then to re replace building 25 with three acres of nature, just the demolition cost at that point is 2.5 million in order to get the building taken down. And then, uh, as you can see, we've, we'll have to shift the levy and then move the other components over. So those are some of the impacts of, um, of those two different design options. Next slide. So what I want to do is give you guys sort of a summary of what um, we're, we've been hearing about uh, the different items in uh, DPAVE Park in these designs. Um, and it, and I've, been, I've got an updated version here a little bit, but um, you know, uh, no dogs. Uh, you know, this one came in as a 50-50. You know, preserving building 25 came in slightly higher than uh, removing it. Um, you know, no motorized uh, uh, type of craft is highly supported. Nature play hit very high on people's lists. Um, with most people, you know, uh, greater than 66% of respondents said they like the promenade, the bike path, the restroom, the parking. Uh, the majority of folks liked having the observation deck, bird watching, the picnic areas, the, kite, the tide pools, the kayak launch, um, the, the potential for having an uh, eel bed grass pilot at this location as well as uh, an oyster bed pilot um, as well. So um, those are the types of things that are were, that were really resonated with people in this park um, as well as the access to uh, nature. So um, next slide. So what we're really here to do is there's, there's some pretty significant, um, you know, what we're asking you guys to do is to look at the three options, have a discussion, make some recommendations, um, and uh, go from there. Um, and then after, for, so for next steps, after this, this uh, with your recommendations or comments, we will bring this forward to City Council in the first meeting in no November um, for their direction to us so we can continue to finalize our design and then bring everything back in March uh, 
February and March, both back to the commission and then back to city council for approval. So then our consultants can complete their 30% design and, and permitting process. So that's sort of where we're, we're at. So with that. Thank you very much for the presentation, excellent. Any commissioners have a clarifying question they'd like to ask Director Long? Yes. Mr. Robbins? Um, thank you for the presentation. Uh, <clears throat> the land to the west, uh, which is the state parkland, it's all cement. The VA property, yes. Yeah, the VA property. When is that, do we have any understanding of when that's going to be removed because from my understanding is they were going to remove that and create that as a wetland area as well um, well the the main wetland area that they're focused on is just to the west of our property for the expansion for um, for building the columbarium so they have to increase the wetland size to offset for that construction so that's what they're currently doing right now the majority of that property of the airfields probably will remain for a very long time okay. um, uh, the the lease turns will prevent the VA from doing any type of construction out there if that colony decides to vacate that habitat at that point the VA could consider potentially you know removing the airstrips but uh, as of right now that's not on a timeline so do we have any impact as far as sea level rise on that side of the building you know building 29 and having to worry about at some point in the future building some kind of levee to protect from that direction because I only saw in the plans the yeah so where there was a, a light line on there that showed future levee as the Good. as the infrastructure gets built out so the the levee for, or that's currently sort of deadheading at the end of building 25 right now will connect to a greater levee that will protect all of spirits alley all the way down uh, to the end uh, right. the of the island. Good, thank you. I may I ask Go a question? Mm -hmm. I have two fi financial questions. Sure. So acknowledging that the, the ultimate um, project budget still to be still to be determined, uh, I'm curious when looking at the additional financial impact of removing Building 25, mm -hmm. um, if you could provide any sort of estimate that incremental $1.35 million in expense Roughly what portion of the total project budget would you estimate that that might represent? You know, right now we're, we're estimating the project somewhere around 20 million. Um, that's in today's dollars. As we all know, there's a, a large escalation of construction costs right now. So um, right now that's, you know, it's about a, a fifth of the, of the project price. Okay, great. And the second question I had is, so you mentioned earlier in your, your comments, um, the conversations with the tenants in Building 29 and their relocation. Yes. I'm curious, um, again, acknowledging the future is unknown, uh, how would you assess the, um, the probability of relocating the existing tenants in Building 25 and preserving that, uh, that lease revenue? Um, the, we do have vacant buildings currently along Spirits Alley. The, I think the trick is some of the facilities are so large that it's, they're working out like how they would try to divide up spaces mm -hmm. because, you know, some of those hangars are, you know, 80,000 square feet right. instead of, 
you know, someone who needs five or 10,000 square feet. So uh, I do believe that it'll be pretty likely that we, for especially for the tenants of building 25, mm -hmm. th there will be financial impacts to that though, that, you know, that relocation, you know, moving a winery or two wineries is not particularly easy. Mm -hmm. And so there will have to be a lot of lease negotiations and timelines that allow them to be able to, to spend that money and then also get a discount for future rent to offset that that ability. So there will be lost revenue for quite a few years in order to accommodate that movement. Okay, thank you. All right, Commissioner Bernie. What is the ultimate purpose of the park? Because it seems like that the different options weigh between one, some of the options consider more nature and other options consider more people. So the, the, you are correct. The, the main purpose of the park is, is, is as an ecological park to create more habitat, but also to create access for residents to have um, experiences with nature and different types of nature that you don't usually get in an urban environment. So it's also those things married together is what we're looking at. In the design option that allows for slightly more space in between the parking and building 25 really was about trying to give a space for kids to have sort of that nature play. It'll be on a slope hillside, so they'll have abilities to engage with different types of vegetation and just really sort of unstructured play like you see at a lot of playgrounds. Mm -hmm. So you actually have the ability to have that flex space there. Mm -hmm. And as it relates to have, have you done an analysis of how many people we expect to attend this particular park based on the different designs? I, you know, to be honest with you, we have not done that. The, uh, the, I will tell you that as a small of a city as we are, we have millions and millions of visits to our parks a yes. year. And as many of you have been out there, I think you've seen how busy, even in an undeveloped condition, that people are out there using the space and riding bikes, walking dogs, and really trying to, you know, have a, have a connection with that that actual location. It's great views back into the city. It's also great, um, you know, even its own setting currently has its own draw to it that really does bring a lot of people out there. So I, I would think that there will be hundreds of thousands of people who visit this park over its years. So the reason I'm asking this question is that some of the, and if we keep building 25, mm -hmm. obviously at least, and you can correct me if these designs are incorrect, but there's more parking if we keep building 25 than if building 25 is removed the number of parking decreases, which it, decreases the access to the park. Um, well, you know, the, as that area develops, there will be additional parking as, um, as the promenade is built out, there will be, uh, you know, development behind that part, which will provide parking as well. Um, it is larger in it, keeping building 25 because we are, it, it's a joint use parking lot for both the park and for the tenants of building 25. So yes, there will be a, um, a you know, the parking lot will be slightly larger in that design option. And so going back to building 25 and you've mentioned that you're in discussions with the tenants to, I don't know if facilitate is the right word, but to work with them if building 25 is removed into other locations, 
what worst case scenario, if that doesn't pan out, what happens then? Well, I mean, you know, that wouldn't be an option for us. We would we would find them a location on the property. The discussion would then uh, have to deal with what is the financial impact and what negotiations would have to happen with those tenants for for having decreased future rent in order to accommodate for the expense of moving. Okay, and I believe this is my last question. Has there been any this? any analysis of the impact of the number of people on the environment within that particular area? Since the purpose, so it appears that the purpose of the park is to increase nature and to allow access to nature. But obviously, as you get more people, that might impact the, the decisions of the animals, of the, of the environment itself. So has there been an analysis on that? I think the, the best way to describe it is in the options, we've kept as much space as we can and the activities the furthest we could from a lot of connective nature. So we have to also look at sort of the adjacent property as well. Mm -hmm. So the animals will not see a difference between our park and the VA wetland or the site adjacent to it. So it was a way to combine you know, the benefits of both activities. Um, and so, has there been a, a direct analysis of how many more people will go there? No, but uh, what I will tell you is that the amount of uh, natural area that we are returning back to nature is about 11 acres. So when you have that amount of, of natural habitat being converted from its current concrete sort of bleak use, uh, it, it's a huge benefit to the habitat. Mm -hmm. Yes, I have back to building 25. I know um, I haven't specifically been there. I know Dash is there. What can you just talk a little more about what the business is like? Does Dash have a tasting room? Uh, what, are, what? How are they operating there currently? So the two wineries present in the building both have tasting rooms, uh, but it also holds um, uh, St. George's Spirits as well as the Alameda uh, Soda Company. So for manufacturing. So. Um, they do not have public outside areas. Um, so, you know, of those tenants, two of them do have the outdoor um, seating area, which, which two of the options preserves. That's it. Anyone else? Um, Go ahead. So for Building 25, uh, are you, have, in your discussions with the businesses, have, there have been discussions on, even if they move, obviously, when it comes to business, some people are used to going to a particular location where a particular business is located. And then if that business moves, they have to, in essence, re-advertise all over again so that there is a potential loss of customers, there might be a potential loss of finances for the particular business. And therefore, is it will those businesses receive any help in trying to get new customers or is this just the well we're we're the if the decision is ultimately to demolish building 25 and we'll help you find new places and that's the end of the assistance for the business i believe all of that would have to be negotiated at that decision point it would be speculative for me to say one way or the other mm -hmm. at this time. So really all of that will have to be negotiated if that decision is reached by city council uh, in, in the future. So uh, 
That's the best I can tell you right now. I got one more. Do you have the percentage breakdowns from option one, two, and three from the survey? To to me, option two is it's kind of like a option two is preserve building, more people space. Three is remove building more habitat, and one is keep building more habitat. So I'd like to kind of see who's saying more habitat between those three and who's okay. saying more the building between those. All right, between the, between the surveys and the community engagement process, uh, concept one got 88 votes, concept two got 194, and concept three got 202. And then when you tally the survey with the in-person, slightly changes, but not by much. The combined plans for keeping the building have 282 fully responses, and then uh, the plan for removing the building has about 202. So it's between the in-person and the, the survey, the overall was to keep the building. And I, I realize in a few of our questions, we make the assumption, um, there's an assumption behind it. Could you clarify, if Building 25 uh, were to remain, is the intent to preserve it as a commercial building uh, in the future, or is it intended for some other purpose? Uh, the intent is to allow the tenants to stay, uh, but again, the future in, with tenants, if, mm -hmm. if those uses do change uh, and they decide to leave the facility, there, there were recommendations or suggestions made by the community to put some type of outdoor education inside the facility, potentially an education center or nature uh, center component to it. So again, all of that can be sort of addressed at that time. Um, but in the, in, in the short term, all the tenants would stay as is. Um, uh, there have been some comments and recommendations about changing what the building looks like to make it fit in better, to um, you know, have more of environmental, maybe a green walls on it and such so that it would actually help f blend into the environment instead of just sort of standing there against it. Anyone else have a clarifying question before I ask mine? One thing going last, everybody asked all the questions <laughs> I wanted to ask or at least answer it, but I have one that we always come back to the maintenance of this park after it's built. We have all these wonderful new parks built in Alameda and the developers build them and then they go away and we have to pay for the maintenance. So is the city going to give us extra money to help pay for the maintenance of this park and increase our budget for that? That, that would be part of the proposal of increasing an operations budget for that park. Um, but one of the things I didn't talk about is as part of the grant is to develop a cooperative program with Alameda Point Collaborative to have sort of a volunteer sort of work program with them to help grow plants and to do ongoing maintenance out there for the more naturalized areas. Uh, our park staff will continue to, to service, to clean, to provide all the regular services to that park, but then the additive service of going out if vegetation dies and replanting it or of that part, they would all work with that. And so we're developing a program currently with Alameda Point Collaborative to, just to do that. Great, thank you. Are we ready for public comment? Yes, we have a total of six members in the public that are here for public comment. Okay. And when I call your name, if you please come up to the, uh, to the podium, starting with Erica Castillo. Speaker Castillo, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. And I 
get three minutes or? Yes, um, three yep, minutes. you're good to go. So thank you guys, I'm Erica Castillo. I'm the Regulatory and Public Affairs Director for Alameda County Mosquito Abatement District. And I'd like to thank you guys for the opportunity to speak about this very exciting project. ACMAD, or Alameda County Mosquito Abatement District, has been managing mosquito sources out at Alameda Point Naval Station since the Naval Air Station ceased operations out there. And we will continue to need access out there to the wetland areas um, and the, the runway areas throughout the project. Can you speak um, into the microphone, please? I think. Yes. There, thank you. There. We are supportive of the increase of natural habitat and public recreation opportunities that the DPAVE project will provide. However, we would like to ensure that the restored wetland habitats do not lead to an influx of mosquitoes in the surrounding areas. Um, tidal wetlands can create habitat for Aedes dorsalis mosquitoes, which are our summer salt marsh mosquito, and it's a very aggressive day-biting mosquito that is native to the salt marshes here in the Bay Area, and it's actually the reason why mosquito control started over 100 years ago here in the Bay Area. So um, it doesn't take very many of these mosquitoes to cause a lot of complaints, and they can fly very far. Um, they breed in salt lands, and they can fly upwards of 20 miles away, biting people all along the way. Um, as you move forward with the design process, it is essential that there's the ability for the tidal water, even on the highest of king tides, to be able to flow in and out of these tidal wetland areas without leaving pockets of water behind, because that's where the mosquitoes will breed. That's their habitat. Um, lastly, for the stormwater detention basin, we recommend following the design guidelines provided by the California Department of Public Health in their checklist for minimizing vector control production in stormwater management structures. And the basic guidelines for that are you kind of want steeper sides, no vegetation, because that's where the mosquitoes will um, hang out and breed. And if there's the addition of tules, which I know are often um, a favorite for stormwater detention basins because of their nutrifying um, and removing contaminants from water. Um, that is the perfect habitat for our Culex species of mosquitoes, which are the primary vector of West Nile virus. So we would discourage the use of those as well if possible. And finally, I'd like to thank Commissioner Alexander for bringing up the long-term maintenance. Um, that is a huge issue with projects. We stress that there is a plan for maintaining and funding for the maintenance and monitoring of these projects because they may not initially be a mosquito problem, but oftentimes as they develop and grow um, throughout the years, that's when we start to see mosquitoes come in. Thank you for the time. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Next speaker. Next speaker is Irene. Um, I'm gonna try not to, I'm just gonna say Irene. I, I don't wanna butcher the last name, I apologize. Thank you. Welcome speaker Irene. Hi, all of you. Thank you for your volunteer service. I really appreciate it. And um, we're also, um, I appreciate our consultant that has helped us do this, you know, who started 10 years ago. And, um, and they are quite visionaries um, because when they put it together originally, Building 25 was not there when their initial plan was there. And somehow a decade ago, it got put back in but now it is your turn to be visionaries too, because a lot of the things that you work on are very detailed oriented and in a specific spot. 
But this is really about long-term, about the future, about watching sea level rise um, come into the shoreline. And it's a great uh, educational spot for our kids and everything. There are plenty of places for playgrounds. There are plenty of places for drinking establishments, but there are not plenty of places for a wetland park. And so I encourage you to choose option three, which is to remove building 25, to think about uh, the long-term consequences, and um, also for the economic value that it brings to the rest of the development across on the other side of the Seaplane Lagoon. Our planning director, I'll never forget him telling me that, uh, that when you have all the developers who come and they're looking from that side, looking out over towards San Francisco, they all say the same thing. What is that building doing there for? It's a big box. It gets right in the way of the view shed over to San Francisco. And so I think it would be great if we had a better view shed from the other side where we want to um, build up one day where the ferry is at. Um, and so it just makes total sense to remove the building. Um, I'm sure some of the people who voted to keep it weren't thinking of a vision. They were just thinking of their drinking establishment, um, which can easily, I have total faith in the city that they will be able to relocate the businesses there. That's just a short-term thing. Businesses come and go too. They may decide to leave anyway um, without this. So I just encourage you to be um, deep thinkers, to be long-term thinkers, to think of the earth, or what kind of world-class park this could be for the Bay Area, to see this unfold, um, and to have a beautiful view of the skyline from the other side of the Seaplane Lagoon. Thank you, Speaker Irene. Next speaker. Next speaker is Rick Lewis. Welcome, Speaker Lewis. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Um, I was hoping that some other people would speak before me, but that's fine. I want to uh, put my support in for option three. I, I'm a wildlife photographer. I do a lot of work for uh, environmental organizations in the Bay Area and the Central Valley. Um, I don't know if you all heard of the bald eagles in Alameda, but they were on Bay Farm Island. Um, and uh, that really brought a sense of community, and people are very excited about that. I think Alameda Point uh, can uh, provide uh, a lot of business ventures for many businesses of different types, and they, they are doing that. But when you have the uh, opportunity to expand uh, a wildlife corridor, we should seize that immediately because those opportunities come by years few and far between and i can tell you this having done this for more than 40 50 years where there's wildlife uh, humanity is enhanced each and every time business will always thrive business will find a way but we need to help the wildlife to find that way they they're not gonna if you provide them the habitat they will take it there's no doubt in my mind it's been proven time and again and i do think 
the last speaker mentioned long-term. I think long-term is the way to think here. Because once we pass this opportunity, I don't think that wetland is ever going to exist in, in an enhanced, um, greater acreage than the opportunity we have now. I've been to the Pave Park many times. I do photography there. I see the Ospreys there, Seaplay Lagoon, um, the Friends of Alameda Wildlife Reserve, the VA uh, at Alameda Point, the California Lease Turns. Um, you really need um, proper habitat for biological diversity to happen and exist and be sustainable. And so I'm just putting my, my vote out there and wish you would consider it that option three is the way to go. Thank you. Thank you, Speaker Lewis. Next speaker. Next speaker is Richard Banger. Welcome, Speaker Banger. Thank Welcome. you. Thank you, commissioners. Thank you for your service uh, in helping our parks, one of our most important assets in Alameda. I'd like to speak in favor, uh, as others, others have, of option three. And part of my reasoning has to do with the planning context in which this park is even being considered. Up until 2013, planning for the future of Alameda Point envisioned a marina on that side. When the planning for the waterfront, the waterfront and town center plan uh, that the consultant for this park was involved in, uh, when that planning process uh, started unfolding, a whole new, and I would consider very bold and forward-thinking uh, vision and set of guidelines were incorporated. And as has been pointed out earlier, the, the guideline was that on the shoreline, development would be intense on the east and gradually become more and more passive until you get to the west side and you can't get any more passive than watching the tide roll in. And in the first draft of DPA Park, there were no buildings there. It was, in my opinion, a temporary decision to keep building 25 out of the footprint. So that's why we're having this discussion today. Now, you may think, well, if I pick option one or option two, I'm saving these businesses. Well, not really. They're there right now because they have leases. But just as surely as their leases will end someday, time is going to march inexorably forward to the day when the city needs to sell that building to generate the large dollars needed to replace the hundreds of millions of dollars of infrastructure at Alameda Point. And when the day comes and they have to sell it, there's no guarantee that any of those businesses will remain. There's not even any guarantee that the building itself will remain. It could be torn down and a new building built in its place as long as the mass doesn't exceed what's there today. So if you pick option one or two, you're making an economic development decision that you do not know the consequences of. If you pick option three, 
you know the future consequences because the consultants provided a drawing on what it will look like in the future. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Do we have any other speaker tonight? Yes, uh, next speaker is Marjorie Powell. Welcome, Speaker Powell. Thank you, members of the commission. My name is Marjorie Powell. I'm an Alameda resident. I'm a member of the Golden Gate Bird Alliance and its Alameda Conservation Committee, the Friends of the Alameda Wildlife Refuge. I've spent a considerable amount of time out in Deephay Park and around the rest of Seaplane Lagoon. I checked today and I have seen a hundred different species of birds within Seaplane Lagoon or looking from Deephave Park out to the breakwater or into the VA reserve. So from my perspective, the concept of Deephave Park is marvelous and I commend the city for doing it. It will create one of the real marshlands within the city of Alameda. And it will be particularly important for all of the birds and the other marine mammals who use Seaplane Lagoon. I think you have some pictures from Leora Feeney of the various um, marine mammals who, that have been seen in and around the area. But I'd like to point out that um, the benefits of creating the park are really limited by keeping Building 25. It limits the amount of space. It will require constant maintenance as the sea level rises, and it limits the amount of sea level rise that can be accommodated and the amount of sequestration of carbon because you still have this building that's blocking a portion of the area. And because I've done some work in helping protect the least turn colony out on the reserve, I know how frequently predators of the least terns nest or a perch on the building 25. And one of the major um, limitations to the breeding of the least turn colony is predators many of whom perch on that building. So you will be helping the turns by taking down the building. I'd also like to echo the concern for future cost to protect it and future economic issues as um, the park develops and the rest of Alameda Point develops. So I urge you to, um, to accept alternative three with building 25 removed. Thank you. Thank you. Do we have another speaker this evening? We have one last speaker, uh, Cheryl Nelson Embry. Welcome, Speaker Nelson. Good evening. Good evening. Well, thank you for allowing us all to come and express our opinions about this really important issue. Um, I'm Cheryl Nelson Embry. I was the supervising naturalist at the Crab Cove Visitor Center for 26 years. I recently retired and now I'm the co-chair of the Friends of the Alameda Wildlife Reserve, which is part of the Golden Gate Bird Alliance, formerly Audubon. <laughs> so um, as working at Crab Cove for so long, you know, I devoted my life to teaching people about the importance of San Francisco Bay and about the habitats that are there. Um, I was really heartened to hear that Mr. Robbins 
class has gone to learn about the Bay and is gonna get a chance to give some input about this important issue because really they're the future. You know, that's who we're making decisions for right now about what's gonna happen with this land. You know, all of you that have children or grandchildren, they're the ones that are going to remember what happened here tonight as well as in the future about this one piece of land. And you might think, you know, this one piece of land isn't very important. It's a small 11 acres, but over 85% of the water, um, the wetlands around San Francisco Bay is lost, it's gone. And so all of the wildlife that we see along our shoreline is hanging on by a thread. And if we can improve even a little bit of that, we're gonna see a great benefit. And, um, you know, the cost of removing one building will make a big difference to animals that can't provide us with any income, but are vital to our well-being. And so I urge you to remove this building 25 and to allow wildlife to have a place in our city and make our lives more rich. Thank you. Thank you, and congratulations on your retirement. Thank you. Any other speakers? Uh, those are all the speakers at this time. Oh. All right. Cool. Uh, Chair, yeah. I just want to interject. We received a late uh, letter uh, uh, that was not able to be included into the packet. It is from the Community Action for Sustainable Alameda, and they are in support of option three. All right, thank you. Okay, so public comment is closed. Now it's our time to discuss, commissioners. I think um, we've all made our comments known. Do we have any other discussion? Yes. Anything that we agree upon, Commissioner Robbins? A little bit more discussion. I'm not sure if the community here knows it or if we as commissioners know it, but we have the Elsie Rummer Bird Sanctuary here in Alameda. And whether we know it or not, it's actually known nationally as one of the most important bird sanctuaries on the western coast of the United States. And it is over by our bowling alley. And this bird sanctuary is a beacon for the migration of birds from Costa Rica, uh, actually Patagonia, all the way up through Alaska. And we at Wood Middle School are actually making a name for ourselves and we're putting ourselves on the map because we have a birding program for sixth graders through Elsie Rammer Bird Sanctuary, then Crab Cove. We just, last week I took all of the seventh graders to Crab Cove to look at birds and birding. And the eighth graders are going to be educating the um, students in the grade schools here and it's going it's already on the map as well and having the addition of this area this wetlands area to grow upon the amount of birds and migration path that is already known nationally for birds and the preservation of birds in this country and <laughs> on our planet, uh, it's, I think, vitally important. And, and I, I know we have the mayor in the, in the audience, and I know it's, it's a lot more money to be thinking about removing Building 25, but the second speaker hit the nail on the head. We don't, don't think short-term, think long-term. It isn't about what we're doing here 
or what those tenants are going to do, but what are, what are we trying to do as a commission? And what are we trying to preserve long-term as a legacy for Alameda? And we need to think in that perspective. And from that perspective, I'm very much in favor of option three. Okay, yes. May I ask one uh, additional clarifying question? Yes. Uh, I'm curious, one of the speakers raised the prospect of the, the sale of the building. I'm curious, is there an estimate of the building's value or it's uh, either by sale or by alternate use? Um, we, we did not look at that because we were not considering selling the building, but we can get that information. How much would it cost? Who maintains the building? Um, it, it is maintained by the city uh, as the landlord, but it's by our um, River Rock, our leasing uh, company, manages it for us. How much would it cost to continue to maintain it? I, I don't have that dollar value with me, but I can get it. And our job tonight is not to make a decision on which option we want, but to give some direction to Director Long for when they go forward into the council so we don't have to decide on which one we like. Um, I just want to make a comment. Um, sometimes being the, the chair of the commission, you have to go last, but I'm going to follow the mayor's lead because I know she goes first sometimes. Um, I would like to first ask if we are all in agreement about Building 25, that, that, that the city find a place for those tenants. I'm really concerned about that, all the artisans. I think it's really important. I know it's seven years down the road, but I think it's really important that we find a place for them to continue their business. I don't know if we're in agreement with that. Yes. Okay, so maybe we could put that as one of the directions to wait, council. Wait, oh. wait, 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 wait. I am, I am in agreement in, in theory. Like, I, am, I am in agreement that the city should assist the businesses in finding a new location, but this, the city and, and the businesses might be looking at it in two different things. So a location that the city might think is a good location, the businesses might not think is a good, good location. So I think that the city should assist them. I think the city should help the businesses. The first option is to help the businesses find places where they, where they ultimately think is good for their business to go. And then if that fails, and then the city, well, I, I, don't even, I don't think that's going to fail, but let's say it becomes a cost issue that where they want to go is beyond what the city is willing to pay, then I think the city should assist them in, in helping them get to those locations, but then offer locations if, see if those businesses will accept those locations if the city is willing to help them with that. My other comment is back to the maintenance issue. I think mm -hmm. that's something that city needs to look at. Who's going to maintain this? I know you have some wonderful ideas there. I think that's a cost factor that needs to be put into the final plan. Um, I think the design is great. It's wonderful. It's very different than one I, we saw a few years ago, remember? Um, my other comment would be if they remove Building 25, that we do the same thing with the tenants of that building, try to find them a place that they can continue their business. I don't know, is anybody? Oh, I totally agree. agree with that? Yes. No. Yep. So 
so. And we don't have to make a decision on whether to leave Building 25 or take down Building 25 tonight. It's just recommendations that you go to council and continue to right. look at this process. Does anybody else have anything they'd I like have, to I put on record? You can go ahead. Quick question with, uh, and we might not have the answer today, but uh, is will there be a timeline impact? Seems like it'd be quicker to keep Building 25 as is. Uh, would just want to know too if if that would increase the timeline to get the project done. Um, at this moment, construction timelines have not been considered yet. So, you know, removal or delays. At, at right now, there's not a, a, a designed timeline. Commissioner Bernie. I think when you go to the council, it will be good to know how much it will cost to maintain the building. Because right now, I think you're saying that it will take at least two million to remove, at least one million to keep. But the two million to remove is in essence an upfront cost. The building's gone, you don't have to worry about it anymore. But if it's one million to keep, but it costs, let's say 500,000, to maintain over 20 years, then that that is a factor to consider in ultimately whether to keep the building or remove the building and also the economic impact that the businesses have in relation to that. I would. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I, I, would, I would add, I mean, I'd also commend the design. I mean, the prospects for a really world-class space out at the point are um, incredible. Um, you know, my, my other reflections are that, you know, given the ecological intent of the park, that having a large commercial building um, right there at the park's edge um, seems entirely at odds with the, with the clear purpose of the park. Um, one, one thing that the renderings didn't show, all the renderings showed kind of an, uh, an over-the-shoulder view of Building 25 then looking out towards the, towards the preserve. Um, but if you pivot the other direction and look out towards the runways, it's the only building there yep. uh, until you reach, uh, I guess, what was the old control tower. So it really kind of stands uh, alone uh, in a wide open, uh, wide open space. So within the, the situation of the park itself, Building 25 doesn't really seem to fit with the purpose or, or the space. So all that being said, I was, you know, in my questions, I was looking for a justification to keep the building um, there. And, and from my perspective, it, it really comes down to the financial impact um, that it would create for both the project and the ongoing operation uh, of the site. So I would just offer a recommendation to um, include within the budget and then the proposal a full accounting of the long-term financial impact of removing that building so that both the initial investment uh, of, the, of the removal is in that, but also some sort of discounted cash flow analysis of the net profitability or, or the potential sale uh, is included in what we might consider the investment in the site for the long-term benefit of the community. But I, again, don't want us to not look at what's the long-term ecological impact for us. 85% of the wetlands in the Bay Area have been disappeared. We have a chance here to bring back some wetlands and to create an environment that is going to be healthy. And, and from a scientific perspective, people don't understand this, but if the common ant, household ants, disappeared from this earth, within six months, it would start to, um, we'd have effect f for humans, and humans would disappear. 
eventually okay. be because of that. So what I'm saying is these birds are important. Having a place for them to be at is important. So, and I know you weren't discounting yeah. it, but I, I think we, we really need to make sure that our city council, and I know it's a tough decision because you're gonna have to go in front of the, the people and say, we need more money. But this is, this is for, for all of our future and a legacy that we can be proud of long-term that the city council can be able to pass on for generations. And I apologize, I wasn't disagreeing yeah, with that I point at I all. I, I'm I in fact anticipating an objection. Um, and so to have, the, to have the financial accounting would be helpful in that regard. <laughs> yeah. Anyone else have anything to say? Yeah, I, interestingly enough, um, when that survey came out was getting on the ferry to go to a Giants game. Um, <laughs> so while I read through the survey a couple weeks ago, um, was actually passing by um, and was pointing to my wife, showing her the pictures and, and pointing. Um, and um, at that point, to be completely honest, I, I was like, oh, well, option three is obvious as I'm looking at it. Um, and then like um, Commissioner Reyes, I started to think a little bit more about the financial impact um, of building 25. Um, and I'm, I'm glad today to kind of get back to thinking more long-term um, you know, because I, I, there are, regardless of what the decision ends up being, it's there's going to be plus and minuses. Um, and um, I, I, I'm now thinking back to, all right, well, when I was on that ferry, what was I feeling and looking at it versus um, looking at a presentation and, and seeing more dollar signs? Um, and I think that's um, kind of ties back to the, you know, thinking about the long term. Um, and, um, just want to offer up that comment um, since, since I had that experience while I was taking the survey. I think that was a good discussion. I think we gave them lots of talking points and more work for the ARPD <laughs> staff. Again, we seem to have a habit of doing that, uh, Director Long, get used to it. <laughs> All right, so we're done with that item. The next item on the agenda is 6B. We need to nominate and vote on a Recreation Park Commission Chair and Vice Chair. Director Long, do you have anything to say about that before we get on? Yeah, I, just as you guys are uh, evaluating this, I also understand that we have a lot of new members um, uh, and uh, this, what this commission is going to have to review in the next few months of things coming up. Just be, be cognizant of that, that you know, if we can look at some continuity uh, for the board or for the commission itself, um, as so many people are new. Just, just keep that in your minds as we're doing that because um, we will have a lot of things coming up that you know, um, context will be helpful and, and sort of that the, the history of um, the, the chair will be helpful as well, so. Do any of you have any clarifying questions you'd like to ask before we get on? Um, I did actually watch um, the recording from last month this morning, so I, I feel caught up there. Um, but I did just want to get um, maybe a little bit more detail of expected roles from uh, the chair and the vice chair, like how uh, a little bit more detail on what, what would be expected from them versus a, a normal commission member. Okay, so the, the role of the, the chair is really to conduct the meetings to be able to keep the, um, the basically our overall process going, um, but it's also to be uh, as a liaison to the community, to go to community events, you know, to really be sort of as, you know, as an extra 
sort of connection to the community. Um, that, that's something that is very helpful. Uh, they also work directly with, with myself. Uh, and as, you know, discussing agendas, you know, items that are gonna go on there. Um, and just, you know, context about what work ARPD is doing and how those programs are going. The vice chair's role is really to help fit in with that or to, to back that position up in case there is an absence. Um, but also, I view that as the ability to also, you know, help if we have subcommittees to help chair a subcommittee and that sort of component. So th those are sort of the roles that I would expect out of the two. Perfect, thank you. Any, do you have any public comment on that? <laughs> no, okay, we'll close that. Discussion? We have a proposal. I have been chair for a while. I was put into that position because someone was not reappointed to the board. It was not my choice to be chair at the time, but I took it because I was asked to take it. Um, I stepped down. We had another commission bef comm uh, commissioner before. Um, but with a brand new board, mostly, besides Eric and I are starting our second term, the third year, the second year of our second term. I think that there needs to be some continuity on this commission. Um, I'm the only one on here that has any experience with ARPD. I was the park director at Cruzy Park in 1972. If you add up, you can find out how old I am. Um, so I think having some history of what this department is like is important on this board and to have a voice. Also, there's just one of me here. Um, I would like to propose that I continue as chair, Commissioner Robbins be vice chair until July of 2024. We do not have a meeting in August, and then in September, vice chair Robbins could become chair, and then one of you could step into the vice chair job. So that is my proposal. If anybody has another proposal, I'm willing to hear it. My proposal would be that you continue to be the chair for the coming term and I would like to offer the vice chair role to one of the three new commissioners so that you can get your feet wet and understand what it is all about and then from there um, it'll help to bring you all up to speed that much quicker as well and I think we'll be able to work as a group that much more um, integrated by doing it that way. So would any of the three of you be interested in the vice chair? I have one question. <laughs> What's the time commitment for being a vice chair? Um, can I ask one of the other current vice chairs? The time uh, commitment. Time commitment, yeah. you come to the meeting. I usually meet with Director Long before the meeting for maybe an hour or so. Sometimes I go up to the office during the month to chat with him about something if it comes up. So there's not a time commitment per se, but you just need to be in contact with ARPD and the staff. And I was a vice chair previously, and you do tend to be the person that is the, the one that's looked at to help chair some of the subcommittees, so you will be working with the, the chair, uh, uh, Alexander, uh, around what committees need to be chaired, and then you will help with those types of ideas as well. And there's not a lot of those. Those come yeah. up very infrequently. Yeah. May, may I ask, uh, Commissioner Robbins, you'd, you'd previously indicated an interest in being the chair. 
um, are in putting forth your proposal, are you saying that you wouldn't you wouldn't accept Commissioner Alexander's proposal to have you assume the chair after, I guess it would be July of next year? Well, that that is just a proposal. I mean, after this next term, whoever is the vice chair, we can then as a group decide who wants to become the chair person. Oh, I see. It's just, I think, you know, there's an idea of in most of these communities where the role of the chair and the vice chair is a rolling role. Mm -hmm. And since I've been the vice chair, um, and I think, again, just to help bring you, one of you, up to speed, uh, I'm trying to think of us as a family and, and to have one of you be able to understand more about the role from that perspective. And then we can make the decision collectively uh, at the next time whether or not I would want to put my hat in the ring for chairperson or not. If I might quickly clarify as you're having discussion, uh, just for uh, according to the bylaws, uh, officers of the Recreation Commission shall be a chair and vice chair who shall be elected annually and take office by the commission at the stated meeting of the commission in July. So again, any election today would be uh, completed at the end of June, so a new election uh, regardless would still need to happen in July. Thank you. Uh, I actually really appreciate that offer. Um, because I, I was thinking about it today, watching um, the recording back. I was like, well, seems pretty straightforward. Um, but I did have a thought of, well, it'd be fun to be vice chair and, and learn from vice chair Alexander. Um, but I, I would say I didn't want to really rattle the boat, uh, per se. Um, but I, I actually really appreciate that and would be interested in um, potentially taking that up to learn um, the vice chair position. So I would make a motion that we um, nominate uh, Vice Chair Alexander as the chairperson and uh, Commissioner Schwartz as the uh, vice chair for this coming year. Wait, wait. Uh, Commissioner Bernie, did wait, you? Wait, wait. Uh, I think we should hear from the other two commissioners first to see if they if they are also interested ah, in being. Okay. I will. I will <laughs> offer that at this moment I am pleased to be a member. Yes, <laughs> uh, I will say that I'm very concerned about the time commitment. I think my primary my primary responsibilities are, can oftentimes be very time consuming. So at the time, if Commissioner Swartz is interested in being vice chair for this particular session, then I am aligned with that. But would we have a second for that motion? I would be happy to second the motion. Can we have a roll call vote, please? Yes, uh, starting with, uh, <clears throat> well, uh, starting with uh, Commissioner Swartz. Yes, approve. Commissioner Bernie. Yes. Commissioner Reyes. Yes. Commissioner Robbins. Yes. Commissioner Alexander. Yes. Thank you. The motion passes. Thank you, and I look forward to working with you. And you. have a little bit to teach, not a lot. <laughs> I'm excited to learn. Thank you. Thank you for that. All right. Next item on the agenda is our next meeting, which is November 9th, 2023. Possible agenda items. Um, I have one. I would like to have a report on the recreation van. I know we started that and then it sort of stopped. I'd like to know if that is, doesn't have to be the next month, but I'd like to know if that's being reinstated. 
Um, we did talk about giving a park tour to all the new members, having an extra meeting for that. And possibly down the line, some more information about the campground proposal that was brought up by one of the speakers tonight. Maybe we can investigate that a little bit more. Could I also recommend, I, those are excellent recommendations. When we do the park tour, could we also include potential areas? Because uh, now chairperson Alexander and I are very familiar with where tennis courts and pickleball court potentially could be. It would be great for us uh, in that park tour to be able to let all the other um, chair people understand what is available out there. Yes, uh, in the coming uh, week or so, you guys will be getting an invitation for that special meeting. We're gonna have to notice it, so it'll probably won't occur until early December, just so that we can make sure that we have enough public notice. We'll wanna set the schedule of parks and set times so the public can appear, because it will be an official meeting. So uh, we wanna make sure that the public can attend those sites at specific times. Um, so that, that will definitely be coming. And I will add these to the upcoming meetings and these recommendations if others, if you have others, um, I'll gladly take note of them now. Anyone else? And those don't have to be next month, just a virtue agenda. All right, anyone else? Okay, do we have a motion to adjourn the meet? Oh, Mayor? I'm not making a motion, but if you would just indulge me for a moment, I just wanted to thank all of you for um, for being here and serving. I try to attend at least one of every board and commission meeting during the course of the year, and um, my calendar is often crowded. So when this one came up and I looked at the topic, I said, oh, then it was very interesting. So anyway, lovely to see you all, and good meeting, and thank you for serving. It was a pleasure to see you. And lovely to just be in the audience and be a spectator. <laughs> thank <laughs> you job. so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so we have a motion to adjourn. I move to adjourn. Can I second? I'll second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Those opposed? Aye. This meeting is adjourned. <laughs> Next meeting, November 9th, 2023.